we seek the word of God and turn to Philippians chapter number four this morning. Philippians chapter four is where we'll spend our time. We'll take up our reading this morning in verse 10 through 20. I believe that's what we read the last week. I mean, it's broken up into sections. And we'll take verses 14 through 17 this morning um, for our, our text to focus in on. If you're willing and able, we'll stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word. And we'll go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing upon it. And then we will commence the, the teaching. Um, but the Apostle Paul writes by the Spirit of God in verse number 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we come to you once again specifically to ask for help and aid now. Father, we need your help. And we are so thankful, Father, as we're reminded through the multiple prayers, through the songs that we've sang, Father, through the reading of Scripture out of the Old Testament. Father, from your word, we are comforted this morning in knowing that you see, you are seated, Father, in the throne of heaven, and that your Son is there at your right hand. And Father, that your Spirit is now uh, running freely and through, this word, through this world, Father, um, as a wind blowing where he desires. Father, we find it just the utmost blessing your spirit would be among us this morning father that your son would choose a people for himself out of every nation tribe and tongue that we would find ourselves fixed among that company father we thank and praise you for the amazing grace that you've extended to sinners like us father we also recognize that in that great salvation um, there is need for much sanctification and that father while we are truly saved for eternity um, even now we are being saved by the power of your spirit as he conforms us to the very image of his son. So we beg and plead with you now, Father, to extend more grace. I'm here and now. I'm through the proclamation of your word, Father, through the receiving of it, that your spirit, uh, we know, uh, would come alongside, Father, undergird the truth and take it to the deepest recesses of our souls, Father, that spiritual fruit may abound. Father, we know that without the spirit of God, nothing will be accomplished. We know that without Christ, we can do nothing. And so we cast ourselves humbly at your feet this morning, Father. I'm asking for help in due time. Father, you know the state of the hearts of those that are before me. And you know the state of my own heart. Father, you know what is necessary this morning 
um, to profit my soul and to profit the souls of those before me. So, Father, we pray that in your tremendous wisdom that you would do it accordingly. And we trust you with it, Father. But at the same time, we pray that we become ready souls, Father, hungry for the word, I'm ready to be uh, quenched, uh, ready for that hunger to be quenched, Father, by, by, by the feeding of the word this morning, particularly feeding on Christ. We pray this morning, Father, that you would serve us I'm just an abundant portion of Jesus Christ this morning, as no doubt he is the purpose of the text. So help us to exalt his name, Father. Help us to stay our minds. Help us to fix them upon him, Father. And, uh, and may we receive him fully with gladness, even with repentant hearts, broken over our own sin, Father. Uh, may it quickly and soon turn to joy. So, Father, go with us now for the next hour and accomplish your work in Christ's name by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Philippians chapter 4 and verses 14 through 17 again will be our text this morning. And we will just jump right in. Um, as I said last week, we read the initial portion, verses 10 through 20. And we broke it up into three sections, and we gave ourselves last week to that section of verse, verses 10 through 13. And the argument was that um, Paul is actually now picking up specifically um, what is what we can term the, the actual intent of the letter. But that thing which actually provoked him. We know that we can draw from this entire letter multiple things, and we've spent months doing that. Um, but it very well could be that the initial... Um, the initial impetus to actually write a letter to the church at Philippi um, was because of a gift that was given to the apostle um, by Epaphroditus, a man sent by the church uh, when they had heard that he was in need. Thus the apostle Paul desires to send back a thank you note. And we noted last week that um, you could actually... And many people have, many pastors, uh, Bible teachers, and just uh, um, regular Christians, um, Christians in general, have noted that this is, or have, have termed this, verses 10 through 20, um, to be somewhat of a thank you note, a letter that he is writing to them to express his gratitude to them uh, for the gift that they have uh, given him. It's interesting, though, the way that the Apostle Paul actually accomplishes that. Um, the Apostle Paul is very, um, very careful in his writing not to confuse. He's desiring to commend this letter, this thank you, to the Philippian believers, but he seems to be walking somewhat of a fine line. Um, a fine line like many missionaries and ministers do today. How do you express thanks for giving and contentedness in Christ, yet at the same time not making those whom you're thanking feel like you are ungrateful? You can imagine that the Apostle Paul, and he seems to qualify his statement multiple times because of that, right? Um, he wants to express a thankfulness to them, and then he wants to express, as we looked last week, a contentedness in Christ. Yet he doesn't want them to feel like he didn't really need it. It would be like a missionary standing up today, you know, the challenge. And actually, if you were to talk to missionaries, 
Um, those who have gone to the field and you ask them what is what was the most difficult thing about the the mission work or even getting to the field and they'll they'll tell you nine times out of ten that it was the raising of support. Um, why? Because it's difficult for a man or a ministry to stand before people whom today generally they do not know and to express a true need that they have, yet at the same time to say, I'm content in Christ whether you give anything or not. And imagine giving, let's say, $5,000 over the course of a year um, to a certain mission group or a man, a minister, and he writes a thank you note to you at the end of the year saying thank you for the funds that you have given, although had you not given anything, I would have been fine because I'm content in Christ. Uh, Somewhat of an awkward way to say it, while that's true, um, it may give the impression that that person is not truly grateful for the gift that they have uh, been given. So Paul is going to go and he's going to qualify his statement um, in multiple different ways, almost talking circles, um, to try to try to communicate that he is truly thankful for the gift. That while, yes, uh, theologically, practically, it is true. That had they not given, no doubt um, Jesus Christ would have sufficed in the need that Paul had there at Rome in prison. Um, yet at the same time, he is overwhelmingly thankful because they met a true need in Christ and a true need in his life. So Paul's going to walk this fine line today as he did last week and he will next week or the next week that we give our attention to this text as well, um, seeking to express a true sincere thankfulness. And at the same time, being careful not to give the impression that his contentment is found in money alone. Therein lies another issue, right? And that he doesn't want them to think that all of his eggs are in the basket of money, just like a missionary standing up here today. Uh, would not want to pull a guilt trip and say, well, if you don't give me anything, like I can't go. So the ministry hangs upon you. You don't want to give the impression either that it's all about the money. You know, Paul is uh, in many places also dealing with that reality as well. That he doesn't want to give the impression either that the reason that he's in the ministry is for the material gain. And that's not only an issue in our culture. And you know, the, 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 the wake and the boom, the, the culmination of what we might in our generation call the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, where you have ministers who are seeking uh, the ministry and pursuing it out of greed instead of, out of, instead of for the glory of God. And this is not an anomaly throughout church history. Actually, during this time as well, Paul is in the midst of itinerant preachers um, who are seeking out uh, the role in ministry and a life of ministry for the purpose of, of material gain. So Paul's going to have to deal with that as well. And so he doesn't want them either to think, not only is he, he wants them to think that he's thankful, but at the same time content in Christ, but not ungrateful. And at the very same time that he's not pursuing it simply for the material gain, that it is completely for the glory of God and for the sake of the people there at Philippi. So it's in these ten verses that he's trying to communicate um, all of that. Martin Lloyd-Jones says of this passage, Paul's great concern that that the Philippians, as much as he loves them, should not imagine that he is finally dependent upon them or completely. That therein lies again the difficulty. How do you thank them and express gratefulness to them without giving the impression that you're completely dependent upon their gift 
and at the same time express his contentedness in Christ without sounding ungrateful and striving to do it in such a way that they don't think that he's a money-grubbing minister. So you can see that, and you may say, well, you know, Paul could just, just succinctly say it, and they should get it. They're a mature church in Christ. Yet at the same time, um, the Apostle Paul is trying to remove any doubt of these things. He's trying to be above reproach as a minister and trying to communicate for the sake of the people there at Philippi. I think he's actually doing it for them as much as he's doing it for, for, for God because of his love for them. So we're going to pick that conversation back up today with Paul walking that line, as it were. And while in, at the same time, this, instru- this, this thank you note is going to be filled, thankful, be filled with um, principles, I think, on, uh, on a theology of Christian giving. The last week in the middle of that thank you note, Paul has an amazing ability to utilize what we might consider to be a formality and yet at the same time communicate to us and to the people of God throughout the ages some of the great um, Christian realities and doctrinal truths um, that that, that we can't even exhaust to this day. So last week in the middle of that thank you note, he gives us possibly one of the most exhaustive um, uh, instructions on contentedness. And this week, he'll do something similar with um, biblical Christian giving. The giving that God um, requires of us in some capacity. So I think today's, will, today's text, will too, will be um, instructive in that area. And to unfold that, the meaning of that passage, I'm going to give it to you on three thoughts. Uh, number one, verse 14, that first initial portion, we're going to see Paul's encouragement to Philippi. That he's going to praise them for their gift. He's going to encourage them. And, and I particularly appreciated that this week in my own thinking and was reminded about how I too, you know, that even today, we're going to preach an instructive message in some capacity. But at the same time, I don't want it to be instructive in somewhat of a corrective manner as if um, we are, are, are trying to get more money out of people. It's not, it's not to heap coals upon your head because you're disobedient. Um, Paul is actually encouraging them something because for something that they are faithfully engaged in. To strengthen their faith and to egg them on um, in faithfulness. And in some sense, that's my goal today as well. I have no quandary with Christ Bible Church and the fact that they are ungiving. Um, this is one of the most gracious bodies of people that I have ever encountered in my life. You know, and that whenever a need arises, I have no doubt in my own mind um, that, that it will be met because of the Christ-like character of the people of God here at this church. Christ has so displayed His glory in the sacrificial and giving gener- generous nature of this congregation that it encourages my heart from week to week. And I hope that it encourages you as well as we go through this text. Um, number two, Paul will then give another explanation. <laughs> Again, Paul's encouragement, and then he's going to qualify that statement with an explanation. He wants them to know why and how. They've been a blessing to him, particularly. It may be as if you read that initial portion, you've done well, and he praises them. If there was a conversation, a dialogue going on, the church at Philippi may say, well, what about the gift did we do well? Paul's going to explain that with verse 14b through verse 16. And then in verse number 17, uh, Paul's going to, number three, Paul's going to give us his end or his purpose in receiving the gift. That's what I mean by boys and girls, end, Paul's end. 
um, his purpose. He's going to tell them why he received the gift. You know, there's going to be times throughout Christ's ministry, throughout Paul's ministry, and we'll even see one of those today as we pick apart this text. There are going to be times in which he does not receive the gift on principle. For example, at Corinth. Um, yet for some reason, he actually receives the gift at Philippi. And he wants them to know why he receives the gift. And he tells us why in verse number 13. So number one, I want you to see initially Paul's encouragement to Philippi. Paul's encouragement to Philippi in their gift. Um, what is the encouragement? He praises them in verse number 14 with these words. He says, nevertheless, you have done well. You have done well that you shared in my distress. And then the first, first word to take note of is that word Nevertheless. And again, it's, it's a word to bring the discussion back to the original point, verse number 10. As I said, Paul's going to make qualifying statements over and over again. When he says something, he wants them to truly know what he means and what he doesn't mean. So in verse number 1, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care but lacked opportunity. And then he's going to go on to qualify that, as I said. He's going to say that that, that, that that doesn't mean he's not content in Christ. He's not seeking after the gift itself. He's not hoarding money. He's not infatuated with, by greed. And he wants them to know that he is content in Christ. And then verse number uh, 14, he, he, he goes back to that original thought in verse number 10 with that word, nevertheless. It's, it's a transition word to bring us back. In other words, let me get back to my original point after my rabbit trail or after my um, excursion. So he wants to continue to tell them why he rejoiced greatly in their care for him and in their love for him. And at the same time, it is maybe somewhat of a word of correction. Nevertheless, maybe somewhat of a word of correction. Again, he didn't want the church at Philippi to think that because his contentment was completely in Christ regardless of what state he was in, that meant that he was indifferent about the gift. It didn't really matter whether he sent it or not. He doesn't want to appear ungrateful. But he wants them to know that although he was content in Christ, ultimately, and while there is some reality that, that had they not given, Paul would have persevered that he truly appreciates the gift. And we already gave that illustration initially, that, there, that, that dealing with church matters, relationship matters. Sometimes one of the most gracious things that you can do, you can say, well, I don't really think I need to say that or communicate that at all. Um, but sometimes it does help. It does help to go the extra mile considering the other person um, and communicating appropriately what true intent is. Um, one of the greatest issues within any relationship, whether it's marriage, whether it's in family, whether it's at work, or whether it's within the context of a local church, is that communication is key. And what we want to do is communicate in such a way, and even go the extra mile sometimes, um, to make sure that we are not misunderstood, that there's not um, misunderstandings of intent or um, various other issues. So Paul takes it out of a love for them to another level to explain exactly what he, he does mean. That he really, truly appreciates the material gift. So how do you know that? With these words, you have done well that you shared with me in my distress or in my affliction. That word well there um, can, is, a, is a multifaceted word which means honorable. 
It means well. It means beautiful. It means excellent in an ethical or a moral way. Actually, in Hebrews 13.8, the New King James translates it honorably. Second Corinthians 11.4, well. One of your translations in 2 Corinthians 11.4 um, translates it beautiful or beautifully. That Paul wants them to know that they have done something that was honorable in their gift. That it was truly beautiful. That it was noble. It was a morally, ethically um, excellent thing. That you've done something. He wants them to know you have pleased God in your gift. And you have pleased me. That is in the exercise or the activity of meeting the needs of the saints. Myself, um, specifically. That I had a true need and you responded appropriately. You did well. And there's an objective beauty to that. That there is a, a nobleness to what you had done. Number two, Paul's going to explain exactly what he means by this. Number two, Paul's explanation to Philippi. Paul proceeds in verses 14 through 16 to explain how the church at Philippi have been such a blessing to him. So how have they? Number one, Paul praises them in their gift because in it they shared in his distress. Paul praises them for their gift because in the giving of that gift, they actually shared in his affliction. Verse number 14 and verse uh, B. or It's still in verse number um, A. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. That word share there, and he's going to use that more than one time here, um, is actually the word that we get our word fellowship from, or participation with, or communion. All of those boys and girls, all of those are what we call synonyms. They mean the same thing. They're translated different sometimes throughout the New Testament, but they mean essentially the same thing. Paul is praising them because they shared with Paul in his afflictions. They participated, in some sense, in his distress. They communed with him um, in his persecution, in his opposition, and in his gospel efforts. literally means to have joint fellowship with. And it's a word that, that is actually, it's, there's a prefix upon it that, that not only means, so, so, so the word itself means fellowship, and there's a prefix on this particular word that actually means they joined in fellowship with him. And there's no real reason to, to, to say that, because the word itself means it, unless Paul's trying to communicate um, that, that there was a joint effort of the church as a whole. That this isn't just one person giving, but they joined together to fellowship with the apostle in giving, that this was a church-wide effort. It could be that the Epaphroditus came, or that, that, that they heard word that the Apostle Paul is there at Rome and he's being persecuted. There's affliction. He's in great need. And the leaders of the church gathered the church together. They prayed about it corporately. And they decided as a congregation, as the people of God, to meet this need. They joined together in fellowship with the Apostle. Um, and that's what Paul says. In that, you've done well. It's a beautiful thing. I think about it and it's noble. It's, it's wonderful. And it wasn't just that they had sent a few coins for him to pay his rent. Um, in a real sense, the gift that was given and received was the gift um, that, that, that actually allowed them to enter into the, to the work and to particularly the affliction that the apostle um, engaged in. And at the same time, it could mean more. It could also mean that, but it could also mean more than that. And it could mean, too, that Paul truly shared with him in his distress. That is, that as they received the word that Paul was in prison, that it caused them affliction. 
It caused them distress. Whether it was mental, emotional, spiritual constraints upon him, and they would, by virtue of their intimate relationship with him, enter into it as it was his affliction. Through sympathy or empathy. Uh, One commentator, Ralph Martin, says, As Paul saw it, such a generous sentiment was inseparable from Christian relationships. It was, in fact, a means of Christian fellowship. And he commends and approves it as such. It was kind of you, he says, to share my trouble. Verse 14. His need was not a remote thing to them. They felt it in themselves, he says. It touched them at the point of fellowship, and they responded. And in Paul's estimation, did beautifully in so acting. It was an admirable thing to do. One member was suffering, and all took note of it. And you know this reality, don't you? You know that you hear of needs all throughout the world seemingly every day. You know that you engage with a person at work or in relationships, and for whatever reason, in that moment, and you can just attribute it to sin or whatever, you know, um, it doesn't quite weigh upon you um, as another need would. Yet a need comes from a brother over in a, 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 a closed country whom you've engaged with. Or I have a brother in Christ that I met with in a hospital setting who's ministering in another area. You know, and that if I heard of a need that he had, it would be somewhat more weighty. Or if I heard of a family member, someone who I've built a relationship, this is just the way natural life works, right? This is the way spiritual life works. Sometimes there are these fellowships, this sharing of life together, such that when a need arises, you enter in with. You'll hear of needs of churches all throughout our community. Yet for some reason, it doesn't quite weigh upon us as if we were to hear a need in this congregation. Now, there's a relationship built such with a uh, such in Christ on a practical level that would cause us to bow the knee to Christ and to lay aside whatever it is, even in a sacrificial manner. Why? Because th- there are certain people and relationships that we have in which we truly enter into their sufferings with them. I think this is what Paul is getting at here. There is this relationship. Of such an intimate nature with the Apostle Paul because he was with them in the gospel from the very beginning. That as they hear, they truly weep with those who weep and, and are afflicted with those who are afflicted and rejoice with those who rejoice. And thus it provokes them because of their love for him that they, as they enter into that um, affliction with him to alleviate that, um, that concern. This was no doubt born out of an intimate personal relationship that they had with Paul now because the foundation was laid prior. So Paul explains in some sense that you've done well. Why? Because in it, you know, you were afflicted alongside me. You were afflicted with me. You entered into that relationship with me. And that's a clear obedience to a command that God gives. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That God commands us in some capacity um, to, to, to meet the needs and concerns of others um, through that relationship and even comfort one another in the midst. And they do that. Number two, Paul praises them in their gift that it is one gift in a long line of gifts. Um, verse number 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. But you only. And even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. 
Paul praises them that this isn't a singular gift. This isn't an anomaly in their church history. But this is actually um, the posture of care that they had for Paul for probably over a decade. Chances are this church has been in existence for over 10 years. Historians and Bible commentators believe that the Apostle Paul had left Philippi 10 to 12 years previous. And Paul wants them to know, as he did last week, that that your care for me, I didn't question throughout the entire time. Right? Verse number 10. Now at last your care for me has flourished, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. There was a time in which... Paul recognizes that there was no opportunity for them to care. But that didn't mean that he actually believed that they didn't care. He believed that throughout that time they had a concern for him. Why? Because they had a general posture in their life as a church to meet the needs of the Apostle Paul that began at the beginning of the Gospel, the text says there in verse number 5. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the Gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. Paul appreciates this gift all the more. Because it comes in a long line of love towards him. How do we know that? Paul tells us that. Right? It appears that Paul's referring to the beginning of the gospel ministry there at Philippi. That time when the gospel was first preached at at that church or that, 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 that context there at Philippi. Acts chapter number 16. You'll remember if you were with us that the the apostle Paul is instrumental in the planting of that church. God sovereignly directs his ministry in Acts chapter 16 to a little town called Philippi where he would meet a woman by the name of Lydia, a demon possessed girl and a Roman jailer that would make up the, the, the nucleus of this New Testament church. And Paul would be instrumental in the planting of this congregation through gospel efforts. He is no doubt a father to them spiritually. But his remark is not regarding his efforts at Philippi only. But their love for him and concern towards him as he leaves and goes on for gospel advancement other places. For example, in Philippians chapter number 1, verse number 3, we read this. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Why, Paul? Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy, for your fellowship, why? For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident in this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He says, not only were you interested now, and great things are happening, but you were interested then. You've always been interested in me and in my ministry and the ministry that God has given me. Um, even when I departed from Macedonia. Paul seems to be referring to that period of time of Paul's second missionary journey where he would go to a place like Thessalonica, Berea, and other areas of Macedonia. He would eventually leave and go to a region where he would um, engage with Corinth and Athens. We read that immediately. You remember Acts chapter 16? He's there at Philippi. Acts chapter number 17, what happens? He leaves. He leaves. Um... Verse number 1 of Acts chapter 17. And when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. We'll find out in verse number 18, it was a very tumultuous journey. Opposition had arisen, and it wasn't just about three weeks before riots break out, and he sent to Berea. 
So he's not on Thessalonica very long. He leaves Philippi, goes to Thessalonica. Thessalonica, within three weeks, riots break out, and he has to leave there in verse number 10 and go to Berea. 10 through 15, um, he had a decent reception there. Um, what happens? Those people from Thessalonica actually follow him down to Berea, and he ends up having to leave Berea because of all of the issues that he has um, there at Thessalonica. He would eventually move in chapter 18 to a place called Corinth. Where we get our book, First uh, and Second Corinthians, from, and there he would too be greatly opposed. Uh, Eighteen verse nine, Paul or uh, Luke writes this of Paul. Now the Lord spake to Paul while he was at Corinth in a night vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and don't be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. You'll find in, verse, in chapter 18 and verse number 3 that it is at Corinth, or verses 1 through 3, that he's actually at, at Corinth. Verse 1, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. He finds Aquila there, Priscilla, and um, he begins ministry there. In the beginning, verse 3, he says that he began his occupation there as a tent maker. As a tent maker. Um, in Acts chapter 18 and verse number 5, in the uh, CSB, you read these words. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. There appears now that there appears in that verse to be an indication that the Apostle Paul would at that moment transition from bivocational ministry to vocational in the terms that we use it today. Right? In verse number three, um, what you see, and again, this is implication, take it or leave it. Um, it could be, it's inference, and what we would say, good and necessary consequence, um, that we would imply as a result of that type of language, um, that in verse number three, he's actively engaged in the ministry, and he's engaged in supporting the ministry through tent making or with his own hands. But due to the language in Acts chapter 18, verse 5, many conclude that it says there, because he devoted himself to the preaching of the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah, that it appears that something happened that caused him to actually transition from tent making to full-time vocational ministry. See, how in the world would that happen? Well, it would happen through support. It would happen through the support of, um, I'm going to argue, the church at Philippi. Church of Philippi. If you were to go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, you're actually going to read that at Corinth, he did not accept support from Corinth on the basis of principle. So as he goes to Corinth and God's doing a work there, he actually says no. He says, no, I will not. I will not take or receive support from Corinth. It's a new church plant. Um, and the indication or implication seems to be that they were trying to um, they were trying to support him um, in a way that it would compromise the gospel. Paul says, "I'm not an employer. Actually, it's my reward to preach the gospel free of charge." Second Corinthians chapter eleven and verse number seven, he says, "Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? So I didn't take any money." What does he say in verse number 8? I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. He doesn't mean that in a negative way. He didn't actually steal from other churches, but he received support from other churches. Verse number 9. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For I lacked the brethren who came from Macedonia. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, 
And so I will keep myself. He says something very similar in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. That it seems that while Paul is there at Corinth, a gift was brought and supplied by by laborers from, um, from Macedonia, which would be Philippi. And he tells us that it has to be Philippi because during a certain period of time, there were no other churches that actually supported him. That the Apostle Paul is being supported by Philippi through Thessalonica, post-Thessalonica, and even seems to be at some point while at Corinth, um, possibly there in Acts chapter number 18, that he received support from men who came from Philippi to meet all of his needs. Thus he could transition from being a tent maker into being a full-time minister, giving himself completely over to the Word. Why? So that in 2 Corinthians 11 he could say, you guys were the benefactors of it. That you were the blessings of it. That Paul's ministry in some, some capacity was elevated and exalted there at Corinth because of the love that the brethren at Philippi had for him even once he led. So Paul is praising them. And that, that his receipt of a gift here of material gain at Rome is, is, is one in a history of love that the apostle has, or that, that the church at Philippi has for the apostle. So Paul praises them for their continued care of him. And he says, even at Thessalonica, you sent once and again for my necessities. Once and again means more than one time. That over and over and over again, immediately, you sent aid. Continually, once and again, you sent aid. And you did it according to my necessities. To meet those needs that I may um, give myself more to the ministry. They didn't hesitate um, to help Paul get to where he he needed. Not only would they do that um, uh, continually, they would do it uniquely. Paul praises them because of their uniqueness. Number three, of their support for him. What was unique about their support? They were alone. Verse number 15 and the second portion. No church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you and you only. Now, I don't think that this was intended to be a slight towards other churches. It may have been that um, up to this point, they didn't have opportunity. Or it may be that Paul was being careful as he was at Corinth. And he actually, there was support, but he didn't accept it on gospel principle. But I don't think Paul's intent is really to insult anyone else that's reading the letter. But to allow those at Philippi to know that in God's providence, that he particularly used them to sustain the ministry of Paul multiple times throughout his life. And for that, he was blessed by it. You know, and not only were they the only ones, but, they, they, but being the only ones, God used them during this time uh, in, in a manner with a people that were materially deficient. What I mean by that, boys and girls, they didn't have much. Right. What, what is that? They were poor. Say, so how do you know that? Second Corinthians eight one. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia that in a great trial of affliction. The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. He says that we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. That in great trial of affliction and abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. And in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he's speaking there in the context of, of Christian giving. That's where we get our, our language from, to give cheerfully and to give joyfully, to give bountifully. And Paul is telling them that there were those in Macedonia that gave and they gave. He says, for I bear witness in verse 3 that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. 
that there was a giving attitude in the congregations of those in Macedonia, we can conclude at least Philippi, um, and that they were without to some extent. And they had good reason to possibly not give from a logical perspective. Right? They could have easily made the argument, Paul, you know, we know that you have needs, but so do we. And we don't have the means to meet those needs. And after we run the numbers, it doesn't seem wise. But they had such a love for the Apostle Paul. This intimate relationship was built that whenever a need came, um, the material um, that they had, they used. And I don't know exactly what it means, but it says even above their ability. That they went beyond what was expected of them, what was required of them, and possibly even what they should have from a natural perspective um, have given. That Paul was praising them because they were frequently giving. They immediately gave. They met his needs. They, 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 his necessities were, were met. And that they, there was a uniqueness about it. And in that uniqueness was that they were alone, but also that they were in a capacity in which um, naturally they, they, they probably shouldn't have given. Right? The argument at least could have been made. Yet at the same time, isn't that glorious? That it was this church... And that God used to exalt the Apostle Paul to such a capacity um, that the, 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 the kingdom would be spread throughout the nations. And isn't that what God does, right? Is it not He who uses the poor to confound the wise? That God uses a meager infant church of little to no means to be used as an instrument to carry the gospel across the world. And there were no doubt many reasons too. But there was at least one reason that compelled them to. And that was for Paul's sake. For the glory of the gospel. And for the gospel of God. To go to the ends of the earth. All wrapped up in one thing. Number three. So we saw Paul's encouragement. Paul's explanation. Number three. What was Paul's end? Why would Paul receive it there. But not receive it other places? What was his purpose for receiving it? Well Paul seemed to believe. That in receiving that gift. It wouldn't compromise the gospel. As in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. Um, but it would also contribute not only to the gospel going forth, but it would also contribute to um, their spiritual benefit. That's his whole argument there in Philippians chapter 4, verse 17. Again, he wants them to know, that I don't seek the gift. I'm not materially driven. I'm not driven by greed. Um, I'm driven because of you. I'm driven because of you um, to receive that gift because in it, I know that while I will benefit... And it's truly beautiful. At the same time, I know that it will be the best thing for you. You ever think about that? You know, we are some of the most independent people in all the world. You know, the nation of America, we're just born in independence. And Christians too, you know. One of the most difficult things um, in service, I think, in our nation, maybe within our church, is the fact that we are so independent. And even in a virtuous manner, I, I wouldn't, I'm not saying that completely negative. We are a self-sufficient people, not wanting to be a burden upon much of anyone or anything. So when a question is asked, and I know that it's asked often around here, you know, how can I pray for you? Or is there anything that I can do to serve you? There's almost, uh, some days there's a, a dearth of that. There's, 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 a, there's a total absence of that. Why? Because, because people don't want to be a burden, you know. Imagine if the apostle himself would have said that. 
Someone who is seemingly spiritually mature and abounding with fruit and love towards him. And there he is in Rome without. He knows he's content in Christ, so he can do completely without. I mean, he he has learned to abound and he has learned to humble himself. He has learned to do without. The Apostle Paul has endured that same reality in multiple different accounts. And and there's there's no doubt in my mind that the Apostle um, could have in that moment said, No, Philippi, you take that money and you redistribute it among the people. I know that you're in deep poverty. Epaphroditus, you go, you take care of Euodia, you take care of Syntyche. You know, you, you give it to the poor that are there. Would that not have been a sufficient thing for the Apostle to do? It would have. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. And that's actually righteous. Alleviating the needs of the poor, especially among the brethren. So why does he do it? Why does he take it? Why does he seemingly, when they're giving above and beyond their ability, why does he say, okay, Epaphroditus, leave it here? Um, he does it for them. He does it because he believes that that there is something principally um, spiritually blessed about um, giving even to the point of sacrifice. That it is a beneficial thing for us to give. Thus it is a, a godly thing to do for us to receive. Not for the gift itself, but... For the sake of the giver, right? That Paul is desiring here to commend to them and to, to, to teach them that he's not in it for the gift, but he is, is, is in it. So that, they, so, that, so that true spiritual fruit would abound to their account. And Paul sees true Christian giving born out of true fellowship and a love for God and a love for the gospel as a means to supply spiritual fruit to their account, to strengthen their faith, to encourage their hearts, and to accomplish the gospel through uh, gospel advancement throughout the world. See, what really motivates Paul to accept the gift and receive the gift is not the need in and of itself. You know, I have people tell me all the time, like, "I don't have any needs." But the spiritual blessing doesn't come inherently from receiving the need. The, 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 the spirit of the material, the spiritual blessing, comes in allowing the opportunity for. This man or this woman or this couple to be a blessing in your life by supplying that need. You know, they went through the, the mental uh, uh, gymnastics and they went through the spiritual endeavor of, of seeking out God and striving to be a blessing and asking, Father, where can I give and what can I do to be a blessing to this other person? And sometimes, maybe more often than not, you may have a good reason to say no, but you should, you should probably open your door to that person to allow them into your life um, so, because it will be a blessing for their sake. Sure, I've, I've learned to be content in Christ. I don't really need that thing. But at the same time, it may be that they need to give it. It may be there where the spiritual fruit will go, grow as God... Um, as God grows that in them through that. Um, Again, Ralph Martin, that commentator says, uh, Christian commentator says, the key words here are all current commercial expressions. Um, It's a Greek word not separately, that is word not separately translated in the end of it. Its meaning is fruit in the sense of interest. That's what he's getting here. He's getting at... um, Verse number 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. 
What Paul is saying is that Paul is utilizing actually investment type of language to argue that the reason that he receives the gift is so that spiritual dividends would be added to the account of the Philippians. So he goes on to say that, that, that its meaning is fruit in the sense of interest accruing to a financial account. Credited, it could be argued. Um, account is translated in respect to. I mean, it brings a commercial flavor, he says. Quote, the interest which is accruing to your credit. He goes on to say, what the Philippians gave as their gift was like an investment which would repay rich dividends in the service of the kingdom of God as accumulating interest stands to the credit of the depositor. At the last day, he says, such generous and unstinted service which expressed itself in practical monetary support would, would not go unrecognized or, unrecognized or unrewarded by God. This is the ambition of Paul for his benefactors. It is surely a most remarkable way of saying thank you to the Philippians, end quote. And that's, his, that's his, his, his bent towards the Philippians, not to receive the gift, but to receive the gift in such a way that it abounds to their spiritual account such that when they stand before God one day, in the giving of that gift, they have laid up spiritual treasure in heaven which cannot corrupt. That Paul receives it for their spiritual good. This is his life and prayer. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 9 says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and in all discernment. In verse number 11, he says, And being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That Paul prayed for them that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. That he desires their spiritual blessing to accrue. That's the reason in verse number 25 of chapter 1, he would say that he labored there and would continue there for the progress and the joy of their faith. That he could see that God, although to live as Christ and to die as gain, and he wanted to go, but he needed to stay, he understood that God would probably um, call him to stay. Why? For their progress and their their, their joy in the faith. And thus he desired for fruit to abound to their account. And in chapter 4, what we see is that one of those answers to Paul's prayer was to put him in such a position that would cause them to act faithfully and spiritually to meet that need. Thus Paul won't say simply because he's content, take it back to the church, I don't need it. He welcomes it in. Why? For the joy and the progress of their faith. That fruit may abound to their account. They may be strengthened in their gospel efforts and that they may grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And what we see contained within that um, is not just a principle for Philippi, but also for us, right? That, that this isn't a brand new principle in the text. It doesn't just show up in the New Covenant language in the book of Philippians. This is actually a principle that is embedded um, in biblical language all throughout the Old Testament new, right? That, that biblical principle is that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Right? That giving to the work of God brings a reward and a blessing of God that, um, that transcends material gain. Proverbs 11, verse 25. The generous soul will be made rich. And he who waters will also be watered himself. Proverbs nineteen seventeen: He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. 
and he, the Lord, will pay back what is given. Proverbs 22, verse 9, He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Maybe the clearest expression is the Apostle himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse number 6. But this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. God loves a cheerful giver, he says later. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, Supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase, catch this, increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. You see, similar pattern, same type of language, that, that in the giving, even in the midst of poverty, the sacrificial, that once you sow that material, it doesn't necessarily, again, we're not health, wealth, and prosperity. All right? But don't let them ruin the principle. We're not saying that if you give materially, God will give materially back to you. What Paul is arguing is that if you give materially um, out of a, an, an abundance of gratitude for the grace of Christ that is extended to you in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, being your pattern, that, that, that with it will come an abundance of the fruit of righteousness. That, that, that the grace will be given to you in a measure that is, that is incalculable and it is eternal and it will cause thanksgiving through us to God. That Paul is thankful. It causes thanksgiving um, as, as the gift is given. That as you give to the work of God in the manner that God has prescribed out of a right motive and a right heart, God will reward you with an abundant grace internally, spiritually, not necessarily financially in a one-to-one parallel, but in an abundance of grace for every good work. This is one of the ways God sanctifies you and grows you and makes you the man of God, man of woman, perfect, thoroughly furnished for every good work. And Paul is saying to Corinth, and Paul is saying to Philippi, I want you to experience the abundant grace of God and that fruit of righteousness that will abound to your account as you stand before God. I want you to be faithful, so give as God has given to you. Give intentionally, give willfully, give joyfully, and if He would will, give sacrificially. And you will spiritually abound. That's why it's better to give than it is to receive. Yet at the same time, in the receipt, if it's received well, it is a blessing to those who give. Paul makes it clear in 2 Corinthians 9. That it is Christ's work which is the ground, the foundation, and the launching pad for our giving. That it matters not simply that you give in a mechanical manner, but that you give because God has given you. And when you do, out of abundance, whether or out of abundance or deep poverty, doesn't mean that God's going to fill your bank account ten times greater, but He will fill your spiritual life with fruit to your account that you did not have before. God will make you more like His Son as you 
pursue Christ in all things, to be exalted in the lives of others, and sometimes in a sacrificial way. And thus, that's the text. Um, I want to give you just a few lines of application, and they will be um, somewhat quick, but rapid fire. So how do we apply this text? And we've given much application already, so some of it we won't really need to spend much time on at all. The application will be related to true Christian or true biblical giving. Number one, I would simply say that true biblical giving is born out of a true communion with God in the gospel. Right? That as I just said, that true biblical giving is more than just a mechanical uh, Sunday to Sunday setting aside an amount and thinking that that's just going to bless people and God's going to be honored by it. And what you'll find is that the Pharisees overwhelmingly, maybe even sacrificially, regularly, frequently gave. Um, And it was in a pretentious manner in which God did not accept. That true biblical giving, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and verse number 8, we read this. I speak not by commandment, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and we're desiring to do a year ago, but now you must also complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there's a willing mind, it is accepted according to the one who has, and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, and their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. The foundation of our biblical giving that is honoring to God and, and, and received appropriately must be born out of and fostered by um, the gospel at work in our lives and true communion with God. You know, this, this really, like when you read the book of Philippians, I want you to look in the shadows. I want you to look from a 10,000 foot view. I don't want you to just, you know, get lost in the trees and miss the forest, although the trees are very necessary and we're walking through them. And God's, I think, gracious and blessing us in that instruction. But what you see here in the book of Philippians is a miracle. It is the power of God at work when you really sit back and think about it. I mean, the book of Philippians, the the church there at Philippi um, were a bunch of Roman pagans before Paul got there. But you know what Paul was before he got there? Um, He was a religious, pharisaical Jew who loved his self-righteousness. That, you know, two decades earlier, um, he would have came to Philippi um, with a bent of hatred towards them, not to step foot, um, because he would have came unclean, and they would have just cast him off as a zealous Jew. And the gospel of God comes to this man. And the gospel of God comes to these people, these precious men, these precious women, such that those who were once self-serving and exalting themselves and and making idols out of themselves and out of other things and worshiping false gods and self-serving by nature, fallen humanity is fundamentally self-centered, such that we give to ourselves and not to others. And if we do give to others, it's for the sake of giving to ourselves. That in our self-righteousness, we 
we are such givers, aren't we? I can tell you as a mortal young man, and as a man on some days, that it is, it is overwhelmingly uh, a, a, a proclivity, a tendency, a, 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 a desire to, to do things such that other men see. That in our sacrifice, we can become sacrilegious and we can become blasphemous as we exalt our religious exercise for the purpose of exalting ourselves. Why? Because we by nature are fallen human beings who love to serve ourselves and to worship ourselves. And we can corrupt even the money that we put into the um, into the offering plate on the Lord's Day simply to be seen of men and to get the accolades and the thank you note at the end of the year. But what you find here is true biblical Christian giving that God can that God honors and that Jesus Christ died to purchase as He extends His life to each of us. He He, he brings us to the end of ourselves such that we can truly love God and truly love others, such that the Apostle Paul and Philippi can have this intimate relationship, such that they are giving one to another and neither one of them have anything. They don't have two dimes to rub together, you know? And when, when, when they could say, no, keep that for yourselves, they're, they're constantly thinking of one another. Why? Because God, through the power of the gospel, has, has destroyed their inner men and given them new life such that they would love God and love others. And if you're going to biblically give in a way that is honoring to God, it will only be born. In, a, in such a way that stands the test of time in eternity when we get there one day and God Himself would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Or the Apostle Paul may say, you did well. It must be given out of a gratitude of heart for what God has accomplished in and through you. Or in your life, you know. It must be that I give because God has given me. And to emulate and to imitate that true giving spirit, we look to Christ. Philippians chapter number 2 is that tremendous model who gave His life, humbled Himself, such that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Number two, true biblical giving allows us to participate with the work of God with other ministers. You know, this is such a blessing. Not only is she born out of the gospel um, power in our lives, but... But, but true biblical giving actually allows us to participate in the work of God with other ministers, right? When we give to the work of God and to other ministers faithfully serving in the capacity God has called them, we actually fellowship and participate with them in those needs and in their work. When we give, we're participating with them in the ministry of the gospel. Um, you know, it was impossible for the vast majority of Christians at Philippi to leave their post and to join Paul. In the journey throughout the world, the preaching of the gospel, the establishing of the churches, the strengthening men and ministries, the suffering for the gospel's sake, you know, if we're not careful, we can kind of escalate and elevate that to just a preeminent status that, that there is this hierarchy of men, these super spiritual men who will do the great things and we won't. But what you'll recognize is that God, when He saves the world, when He saves men out of every nation, tribe, and tongue, He fashions them in such a way that, that we are contingent and, 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 um, and we are, uh, that, that our, our ministries are often contingent upon one another. Right? And what you find there is actually that the Apostle Paul abounds at Corinth. Why? Because of Philippi. That Paul is at Thessalonica and he's able to, to, to thrive. Why? Because of the faithfulness of Philippi. It's like William Carey as he's about to leave um, England and a group of men say, no, if God wants to save them, he'll save them. 
Uh, but William Carey at the end of the day says, I've got to go. And, and this is just a paraphrase. But in some sense, he says, I'll go down, but, but only if you'll hold the rope. That William Carey's ministry to, to the world, in which we're still um, kind of e- evaluating and exalting even to this day as God used him to reach untold multitudes that are even, that are even benefiting, to it, benefiting from it even to this day was because of faithful men and faithful women who had entered into ministry with him by staying back and holding the ropes. Such that there will be spiritual reward on that great day as we stand before God. It won't be William Carey and number one, but it will be God's people throughout the nations and in faithful places praying and seeking opportunity to sacrificially give that the gospel may go forth. Paul stands in a panoply of men and women throughout the nations. I mean, in which the gospel went forth because not only Paul was faithful, but Philippi was faithful in their giving out of the abundance of heart that God had given, the abundance of gratitude that God had given them through the power of the gospel. That you enter in, you may never be able to go um, to the unreached people groups in Islamic countries. But let me tell you this today, you can go. You can be there. While you won't practically be there in body, you can actually be there in ministry. As you give to those things to faithful men to carry out that work, and that is laying up true spiritual fruit in heaven. Number three, true biblical giving is born out of true fellowship with ministers. You know, I think one of the goals that should be of this church is, 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 is to support missionaries and to support more. Support ministers as they do the work faithfully. What you find here is is that it's more than just a mechanical, you know, um, get on a website, um, look through a few presentations, and just check off the box. We've given you know, 10% of what we have, whatever. Um, what you find is you find that, that, that in this, the context of this passage, that Christian ministry is carried out by an intimate relationship and fellowship with that brother, right? What we're looking for here at the church even, I mean, it's not necessarily just to take on for taking on sake. Um, but some of those most beneficial um, missionaries to support are those whom have came out of this church or attached to this church or friends and family and ministers um, closely tied to this church. Um, that's when true ministry will happen. You know that? Like when it becomes personal, when it, that's when you weep with those who weep. That's when you find out that there's something happening on the mission field and they're more than just a number. They're more than just a name on a page. Their brother so-and-so, their sister so-and-so, their kids are Johnny and Susie. They were with us. We know them. We've, we've been praying for them. We've been engaged with them over email. We've Skyped with them. Um, that's when the, 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 the true fellowship begins um, to happen. The true Christian support and ministry and biblical giving. Again, it's not wrong to do it kind of blindly. Sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes it's necessary to give to places like HeartCry, who are faithful men um, supporting missionaries throughout the world whom you'll never know. But I think overwhelmingly, uh, we should desire to, 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 to raise up and to send out and to be attached to and to be praying with and to be um, intimately tied to those men and women such that when a need arises... There's no question of whether we'll meet it or not, right? You want to build that relationship such that um, they feel like they can actually bring a true need to us. And we can bring a true need to them. That's what we want. 
Number four, true Christian giving and receiving is a means to pursue God's promised blessings. And we see that all throughout the Old Testament. We see that all throughout the New Testament. Um, that true Christian giving, the pursuit of it, and the desire to be more biblical in my giving um, is a means to pursue sanctification and God's promised blessings. Again, it's not health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, church. Um, but Paul does seem that it is a right motive um, to pursue Christian giving for the sake of sanctification because ultimately I think it means more and more of Christ. And that's what you see. First uh, Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Material's not a bad thing, he's saying. God actually gives them to you to enjoy. He goes on to say, let them do good. They may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may, that they may lay hold of eternal life. Paul tells Timothy to instruct those who were rich not to be greedy, to receive all things as good, but to be rich more so in good works. And by doing that, they store up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. That you and I are to use our money in such a way that we'll be storing up a treasure chest of heavenly reward, not hoarding up down here with barns and barns and bigger barns. And that the pursuit of that is not material in and of itself, but, but the blessing of the, the substance is more of Christ. It's not health, wealth, and prosperity, but that our souls would prosper in Him. That's where the true spiritual fruit comes from. And when this church receives giving, it is not because we seek the gift. The encouragement is such that you would receive the blessings of compound interest as you enter into labor. With this ministry and the ministries it supports and more ministries as you support them, that you enter into more and more communion with God Himself in Christ and thus abound. So we would promote um, true Christian giving and biblical giving out of a gratitude of heart to enter into fellowship with true ministers, um, to minister in places that we could never go but be actively engaged such that your soul would abound. Your soul would abound. That when we're talking about and commending true Christian giving, it is not because we need more. It's because you need more. We need to give. That we may have more of Christ. Support more missionaries, men and women, in the ministry of the saints. Not only because they have true needs, but because you do. They need more of Christ, and so do we. And thus is born the relationship of giving. There's more of Christ in giving and there's more of Christ for you in the receiving. Thus let us give and let us receive in Christ. That the gospel may go to the ends of the earth, but that too, that the fruit of righteousness may be born and flourish in our hearts as we cultivate more of Christ-like character. So be willing. and Be intentional. Be joyful. Be cheerful. And if He would will, be sacrificial out of the gratitude that God has given us. And I trust that God will cause us more and more and more to abound. We will not do without um, as we give. So I commend that to you now for your consideration. Um, in part, I hate preaching on giving. I think this is the second sermon in eight years that I've ever preached on giving. You know why? Because I don't need to. Because you are a gracious people, as I said 
in the beginning. This is not a correction. Um, this is an encouragement to carry on and to keep on. I see such a display of Christ in you in so many facets, and that's just one area. And as Paul is, is encouraging the church at Philippi and what they've already done to stay faithful and for fruit more to abound, that's what I encourage you today with. Um, that I see God at work in you. And may God give you more the increase as you seek out to live a devotional, sacrificial, practical life um, in this world um, by giving of yourselves to others as Christ has given himself to us. Let's pray. Father, we love and thank you and praise you once again for the work of Christ in our hearts. Father, we are so in debt to the grace of God that has been extended to us. Father, we recognize that all good things come from you and that all good things that have been placed in our hands, Father, are for the glory of God and to be used in the service of the kingdom. That, Father, we are enamored by the majesty and the beauty of your Son and what he was willing to give on our behalf. Father, we look into the heavens this morning and we truly are thankful for the rain. And as dreary as it seems on some days, and as, a, as we receive it often as a nuisance, Father, we recognize that it is necessary for life. And thus we receive it as a blessing and as a gift from you. We recognize that all these things that you fashioned, Father, those first five days were for us to utilize and there are tools in our hands to bring honor and glory to your name. And Father, on day six and on day one in our own hearts, that we have reversed that role and sought to utilize the things that you have given us for our own glory and our own gain. And thus we are enamored by the gospel that you would take self-serving people and make them sacrificially servants for the Most High God, that you would bring light into a dark space, that you would speak a soul, and once again, Father, into existence, that you would redeem sinners for your sake and give us a right view and understanding. Father, I pray that you would continue to do that even in my own heart, that I wouldn't be a hoarder of things or a seeker after material gain, that I would recognize that all things were given for me and for us to enjoy. And they were to utilize that, Father, for the glory of God and for the sake of the gospel. Father, give us a right view and a holy view of the handling of things. The materials that we have, Father, the money that we put into our bank accounts, the, the, the things that we own, Father, the way that we engage one another. May you give us a Christ-like spirit. Father, may you give us a giving heart. Uh, not only of things and materials, but of ourselves. As you've said of the saints of God, Father, um, they gave of themselves first willingly, and then they gave to the work of God. Father, this is our desire, that you would not receive simply the fruit of our hands, but the fruit of our hearts, that we would be wholly given over to you, and that you would take us, Father, and make us into the very image of Christ, and help us to be, aid us to be that which you desire for us to be in this world. That you would give us ministries, Father, um, to help and to aid and to egg others on for the glory of God. To be instrumental in the sanctification, Father, of others. Um, to be givers, Father. 
And help us, too, to be good receivers. Father, knowing that um, if born out of a right heart, sacrificial giving causes fruit to abound to others' accounts. So, Father, help us not only to be willing to give, but also willing to receive, that we may be a blessing to others and promote their spiritual good and faith in Christ. And at the same time, Father, um, to be agents and tools to reach the world with the gospel as that character is displayed, Father, to our children, to our co-workers, and to the community all around us. Father, use us for the glory of God in these endeavors. Make us more like Christ and give us a mind for Him. Father, it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you will, we'll stand and sing number 389. Number 389. All I have is Christ. And the way that we do this one is verse, chorus twice, verse, chorus twice. We'll do two verses, um, one and three. Verse, chorus twice, verse, chorus twice. And then we'll, we'll end, close the service. 389. to your heart in some way. Um, if there's anything you'd like to talk about after the sermon, if you need to be saved, we would beg and plead with you not to leave here without Christ. I'd love to take a Bible and show you what Jesus did to save sinners. And he may save your soul, bring you into the fellowship 
not only now, but for all eternity. So if that's you, um, please see us after the service. If there's anything else, we're here for fellowship and usually for about an hour. Feel free to stick around. If not, I love you. Thank God for you. Praying for you this week. Um, and pray that today you find some rest in Christ because you'll need it. So rest in him. I love you. Thank God.